a remote fantastical kingdom far from Europe's chancelleries of power. An ancient castle where secrets are walled up. An unpopular monarch on the eve of his coronation. A ruling class of plotters and would-be usurpers. And a gentleman adventurer on holiday. No, not Ruritania in the 19th century, but the United Kingdom in the 21st. Stein's new book, The Prisoner of Windsor, is a contemporary inversion of Anthony Hope's classic, The Prisoner of Zender. In the original, an English gentleman on vacation is called upon to stand in for his lookalike, the King of Ruritania, at his coronation. Over a century later, a Ruritanian on vacation in London is called upon to return the favour and stand in for an Englishman in an absurd, fantastical kingdom where Brexit never quite happened. Plots are afoot. The Prisoner of Windsor by Mark Stein. Available in hardback and digital editions or for a personally autographed copy, go to steinonline.com. The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Welcome along, June the 30th, 2023. It is 3 p.m. North American Eastern Time. That is 4 p.m. in the beautiful Canadian Maritimes, half past four in Newfoundland and beyond the Americas, 8 p.m. in London and Dublin, 9 p.m. in Paris and Berlin, 10 p.m. in Kiev. That's kind of okay. And Moscow, now in the same time zone, if not the same country. 10.30pm in Tehran. For all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran for the half-hour time zone, midnight 45 in Kathmandu. For all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone, 3am in Singapore, Honkers and Perth. I'm sorry about that. 5 a.m. in Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, sort of a little bit semi-sorry about that. Uh, but 7 a.m. in Auckland and a rather more convivial hour for the Kippers and Kedgeree in His Majesty's dominions across the Pacific. Nancy Mitford died 50 years ago, uh, June 30th, 1973. As many of you know, I knew three of the once famous Mitford sisters, but Nancy was not among them. Uh, But pick up almost any of her books. You'll enjoy them. I've been under the weather the last few weeks, and I reread her very first novel, Highland Fling, and it perked me up no uh, end. Uh, Nancy Mitford spent much of her life in France, and the present, uh, the great love of her life, Uh, was a rather randy Frenchman, Uh, the uh, colonel, if I recall correctly. 
Um, and uh, the, the France uh, of today uh, would be almost totally unrecognizable uh, to her. Uh, we are sort of in the early hours of the fourth night of nationwide French rioting spreading to more and more towns uh, every night, getting rather close to where I spent my convalescence after my heart attacks. I naturally feel I have a sort of interest uh, in that. There is at least uh, one man dead, an 80-year-old priest. Uh, last night, I think this was, was beaten unconscious. Uh, the coverage is in the not just the French media, but... Uh, the Western media more generally is totally dishonest. You, When you read about this 17-year-old whose shooting provoked uh, what has happened in the last few nights, you would never know he was Muslim. And you would never know uh, that there are chants. The demonstrators are chanting Allahu Akbar, uh, because uh, Monsieur Macron has asked social media to squash all that stuff. We'll get into that a bit later. Uh, June the 30th, uh, it is also the eve of Canada's national holiday. Don't get me started. Uh, whatever one feels about Pierre Trudeau, he did at least go to the trouble of rebuilding Canada in his own image. It is rather poignant to think that it's that Canada not my Canada, not the pre-Trudeau Canada, the 400 years before he started monkeying with everything, the Canada I love. Uh, he dismantled that, uh, and Justin has, in effect, totally dismantled Pierre's Canada, so that there's nothing. There's a void where Canada used to be. Uh, but we will have some Canadian music for Dominion Day, so there is that. Let us get to your questions and an awful lot of questions this week on a story out of the United Kingdom. Nigel Farage put up a six-minute video yesterday explaining that his bank, where he's banked for over 40 years, since 1980, has told him to get lost. Uh, they t called him up two months ago, said they were closing his personal accounts and his business accounts. He's tried seven other banks and none of them want anything to do with him. Uh, they refuse to take his business. And, of course, if you don't have a bank, the, it was possible until fairly recently to survive without a bank account. You could ask to be paid in cash, and some people would do it. Uh, but it isn't that way today. Uh, and especially post-COVID, where a lot of just I, – I think I mentioned this uh, – uh, somewhere or other in the last couple of weeks, I went into a coffee place in Piccadilly and uh, asked for, you know, whatever it was, a cappuccino or whatever, and reached into my pocket and produced a five-pound note, and they told me that, no, they didn't take cash anymore uh, because of the fear that the COVID could be lurking on the money. That was their excuse for eliminating cash, That which is not true. There's no science behind that. The COVID isn't actually lurking on the £5 note. Uh, but uh, So good luck surviving without a bank account. We've had a lot of uh, correspondence of it, on it. Uh, Chris Davis writes, Hi, Mark. I'm immensely jealous of all your guests on the forthcoming cruise. Have a wonderful time. 
<laughs> yeah, we sail a week. A week from today, we will be on the beautiful Adriatic, having uh, sail. We'll uh, what would the time difference? We'll be uh, midst dinner. Uh, and I'll be hosting a table of Mark Stein cruisers. We will have left Trieste earlier in the day. Um, what was it Winston Churchill used to say about the Iron Curtain from Stettin in the Baltic to Trieste in the Adriatic? Yeah, the Iron Curtain and all the unfree states used to be east of that. Uh, increasingly, it looks as if all the unfree states are west of that. So same old Iron Curtain. They've just switched roles. Um, I'm especially keen, says Chris Davis, on the promised civilizational collapse, although we appear to be heading off that cliff even faster than predicted. What do you make of your old warm-up act at GB News, a.k.a. Nigel Farage, being demonetized by not just his bank, but the entire UK banking system? This is before the inevitable arrival of central bank digital currency and associated social credit enforcement. The bank's actions are seemingly perfectly legal, and following on from Lawrence Fox being unable to get a bank account for the Reclaim Party, the demonetization of the Trigonometry podcast, and even your old dinner party, Toby Young's defenestration by PayPal, since reinstated. Clearly, those who lean remotely right of centre seem to be targeted for an Ofcom-style chilling. Do you see this as a UK issue, or as I suspect the start of a wider global attack on the right by those whose globalist and corporatist narrative is not adhered to, says Chris Davis. David uh, writes from La République Française. Good evening, Mark. Any thoughts on the Nigel Farage banking situation, i.e. the political use of the banking system to silence and eventually force abroad critics? Is it a preview of business as normal if and when a central bank digital currency is finally released? Glenn Flint says, what are your thoughts on Nigel Farage being cancelled by his bank? We'll be joining you on the upcoming Mark Stein cruise. And Sonia wondered if we should put out extra food for the cats in the event that our passports are cancelled and we must continue our voyage for the foreseeable future. Would it be reasonable to assume that you, as a supporter of Brexit and violator of Ofcom standards of deference to acceptable opinion, may be caught in the same net as Nigel? Would we, as your loyal fans, also face the wrath of the deep state like the supporters of the Canadian truckers? We're still looking forward to the cruise, despite concerns about throwing in with such a motley crew of people outside the bounds of the law and acceptable opinion. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, starting to feel a bit more like uh, scurvy knaves in Pirates of the Caribbean, isn't it? Alison Castellina says, question to Mark. Hi, Mark. Now that it is crystal clear that cancelling free speeches will involve closing their bank account, even closing their access to any bank account, how can supporters of free speech best protect their money from now on? Nicola Timmerman. Writes from Eastern Ontario. Wow, debanking. Farage losing his bank account and not able to get another. Real fascism. Reminds me of when in 2017 Marine Le Pen and the National Front had their accounts closed by La Société Générale because of their views. They were also unable to get loans and their fundraising was affected. Of course, we had the banks freezing the accounts of those who gave contributions to the trucker convoy in Ottawa. So I think uh, Nicola has just answered Chris Davis's point. 
about whether it's a UK issue or whether it's broad. She's given examples of what was done to Marine Le Pen in France and what was done to the Canadian truckers by Justin Trudeau. I might also throw in, as we've talked about on this show before, uh, Peter Brimelow's uh, website, VDARE, which... Uh, opposes, uh, basically, it it says that the whole of uh, America has been imperiled by the 1965 Immigration Act, which ended the immigration moratorium uh, from the mid-1920s. And uh, I happen to agree with that. I think that the 1965 Immigration Act will turn a first world country into a third world country. But, uh, you know, Reasonable people can differ on that. The thing is, though, they don't want to differ. They would rather just do to uh, VDARE what has been, what was done to Toby Young and his free speech union, uh, what was done to Marine Le Pen and the uh, National Front, now the National Rally Party in France, and what's currently being done to Nigel Farage. And I saw today, I think it was Tommy Robinson. Tommy, it was Tommy Robinson. Tommy Robinson was saying, yeah, welcome to my world. (laughs) And didn't have much sympathy for Nigel because, of course, they've been doing this to him. And in fact, they've been throwing him in prison uh, on uh, crimes that would not even be investigated were a respectable, you know, so mortgage fraud and that kind of thing. Uh, they've been finding excuses. He, so he's had all these problems for years, and he points out that Nigel hasn't uttered a word about his plight. Uh, I, I sympathise with that. Nigel's a bastard, and he hasn't uttered a word about my plight. So you can imagine how I feel about him uh, after the GB News business, because if Nigel had got off his flabby ass and put in a word for me, I might actually still be there. And now, surprise, surprise, he's the one in trouble. That's how it goes. Because, as I said about my uh, Canadian human rights cases all those years ago, these things always start on the fringes. And they start with fringe figures who aren't the best poster boys for whatever first principle you're trying to defend. But they always move in from there. So you have to defend it at the fringes. Um, And uh, back then, at the time of my uh, troubles with the ghastly, grisly, corrupt uh, human rights racket in Canada, there was a fellow called Mark Lemire. uh, And he was a bit strong meat for a lot of people. He had a shaven head. As I said, they're never the best poster child for whatever first principles you're attempting to defend. It would be great if instead of Mark Lemire, they'd chosen to pick on Margaret Atwood. But they always pick on the fringe figures first and pick them off as they move inwards. And uh, I'm pleased to say uh, that um, once I heard about the Mark Lemire case, it doesn't matter whether you regard him as a white supremacist or whatever you want to say about him. uh, Clearly, what the Canadian state was doing to him was outrageous. They were holding secret trials. And as you know, again, I've talked about this and I think we still have uh, Julian's magnificent letter uh, posted uh, up at our website. Uh, But the um, uh, uh, RQC in 
Toronto, Julian Porter, a very great man. I just noticed this. I couldn't believe this. The Canadian Human Rights Tribunal was proposing to try Mark Lemire in secret on national security grounds. Uh, You know, apparently uh, they're now James Bond and he's Blofeld. And I noticed this and couldn't quite believe it. So I uh, shot uh, Julian an email and I said, can you do something about this? And he said, I'm just in the middle of dinner. Give me an hour and a half. An hour and a half later, he filed a brilliantly argued motion uh, citing uh, Attorney General of uh, Trinidad and Tobago and Viscount Haldane and all these other relevant precedents. And he said they had, he, he fantastically, he put the judge's name, he put judge in inverted commas because he correctly pointed out that you're not a real judge if you're presiding over a secret court. And that judge crumbled in nothing flat and boom, uh, Mark Lemire's trial was open to the public, uh, and I was sitting in the front seat when the trial began 48 hours later in Ottawa. And that judge wound up ruling that the very law under which he, Mark Lemire was charged was, in fact, unconstitutional. Now, I'm going into a bit of, you know, I may be going into too much detail on this, but basically Mark Lemire was the Tommy Robinson of the situation, and I was the Nigel Farage. And uh, you have to recognize, uh, you have to be man enough, you have to be big enough to recognize that the first principle is what matters. That if you say, oh, we don't care about the first principle because Tommy Robinson or Mark Lemire, these are unlikable fringe characters and we don't want to be associated with them. Oh, and then surprise, surprise, yawn, because they got away with it, with the uh, unlikable fringe characters, surprise, surprise, you're next. You've just given them an appetite for uh, expanding uh, on it. And that's why uh, Chris Davis mentioned, uh, you know, my former dinner companion, uh, Toby Young. I doubt I'll ever be having dinner with Toby Young ever again in what remains of my life. But I do not regret uh, going to bat for him over the PayPal business because uh, uh, it doesn't matter whether it's Toby Young or it's Tommy Robinson, or it's Nigel Farage, PayPal shouldn't have done that. So you got to speak up about these things. First principles. First principles. There's not, uh, there's not, an, and, and same thing with V-Dare. Same thing, same thing with V-Dare. People say, oh, oh, but uh, it's a white nationalist uh, website. It isn't actually. That's not true. They just would like to have an immigration system that serves the interests of the people who are already in the United States, as all sane nation states used to do until the day before yesterday. Uh, but you've got to defend these people because... The guys who are doing this, if they see you will stand by and not defend first principles, then they will uh, they they build up an appetite uh, for it. They build up an appetite for it. Uh, to go to Glenn's point about whether I uh, am in the same situation, well, uh, I'm not because I'm not a uh, resident of the United Kingdom. 
I mean, th this is this is the point. If you can't have a bank, you can't participate in normal life. You can't uh, that crappy restaurant. Uh, it's not actually. It's a rather good restaurant. It was way better than Toby Young deserved, but it cost an awful lot of money. That people would think you were suspicious if you were to take uh, that amount of uh, cash into a, a restaurant. Uh, people would think it's suspicious if you, you know, wanted to put up at uh, a Holiday Inn and you didn't have a card with which to secure the room. It's all but impossible to function in the mod. And th this is, uh, you can't, uh, you can't, book uh, a, an airline ticket, for example. So what are you meant to do? You're meant to find the last extant travel agent in the United Kingdom. God knows where that would be, probably on Rock Hall or somewhere. Uh, and you're supposed to go there with thousands of pounds in order to book your flight. And Nigel book his next flight to go and see Trump at Mar-a-Lago. This is... Uh, this is... The, the, if, David asks, is it a preview of business as usual? And I don't think it's a preview. It's been going on for some time now. Uh, just little isolated examples all around the map, but actually fairly prominent ones. Marine Le Pen, for example, is the de facto leader of the opposition in France. And uh, if she so chooses, will be the person running in the next one of two people in the final round of the next uh, French presidential election. So es essentially what the French state is doing is actually crippling and hobbling political opposition. So these are not small things. And I think about uh, this this is the world, you know, as Nicola Timmerman pointed out, it hobbled the fundraising of uh, Madame Le Pen's party. Um, as, as, it, as it wouldn't. You can say, well, we have to find, as indeed Toby Young's free speech union has taken a hell of a hit. It, when uh, PayPal was forced to back down, Toby didn't want to go back reasonably enough to PayPal. Well, that has meant that it's uh, donations because because people are lazy. They say, oh, yes, I'm a great, I'm an absolute free speech absolutist. I'm a core Brexit supporter. I believe that there's, uh, I would like to open up free speech because I believe everything's too much. But, uh, but don't ask me not to use PayPal. I don't really, yeah, I could go to the trouble of, uh, you know, writing a check and mailing it in. Uh, but uh, on second thoughts, no. I know I would have done that perfectly normally a few until a few years. I don't think I want to be bothered with that now. People don't do that. So what that means is as long as you support these left-wing institutions, the left outraises the right and will always have a huge financial advantage. But you should, you should uh, get used to to, you know, the reason that Nicola, Alison, Glenn, David, Chris all ask me variations essentially of the same question on this because they understand that this is the there is no broad general respect for a variety of opinion anymore. 
That's what Full Fact is about. That's what Facebook is about. That's what Ofcom is about. Uh, that's why they try to suppress things that would have been perfectly acceptable to say just a couple of years ago. Uh, they're there to make. They're there to shrink the acceptable that creep Michael Grade and Dame Melanie Dawes. Uh, Michael Grade, I never sort of cared for him. He's a totally crap interview. He's the chairman of Ofcom, uh, and he was the head of the BBC before. And he's, you know, he's he's one of the world's worst interviewers. If you go and watch uh, when it was uh, my. Uh, friend Don Black's birthday and they threw a big gala thing at the Queen Elizabeth Hall all-star concert and everything and uh, Michael Grade was the one given the privilege of interviewing Don and total crap he's one of the world's worst interviewers which is why I think he'll be a big stinker in the witness box but the point is uh, that he is now ending his career presiding over an organization that over the last three years has, has applied ever and ever tighter clamps to shrivel free speech. Now, as I said, I don't know why, you know, people like Nigel Farage go all silent on Ofcom, uh, why they don't feel they can speak up about Ofcom or about full fact uh, or about what Facebook is doing. Uh, but suddenly, what do you know? Oh, suddenly it's not just Ofcom, Full Fact, and uh, Facebook screwing you over. Now it's your the bank you banked with for 43 years. Um, and as I said, I had the great advantage. I was not a resident of the United Kingdom. I flew in and out. I can still do that, although I wouldn't be surprised. I think one time I actually had to fly into Dublin and then sort of sneak across <laughs> the Irish backstop um, uh, for some reason. Uh, was it the COVID? I can't remember now. But the, the fact of the matter is that if you're... Um, if you're not a resident, of the, I think one of the reasons why my show was able to do things that other shows didn't, such as the victims of the COVID vaccines, was because I wasn't as vulnerable as Nigel Farage and the Reclaim Party and the Reform Party and all the rest of it are. So I was just able to do what I want, because what is it? What difference does it make to me when I when I go? I flew in and out of London all the time, um, but when I was there, I was not using UK bank cards or writing UK checks. I didn't really need UK infrastructure in which to function. Now all our countries are headed the same way. I have a sort of uh, you know, and they're all sort of uh, going at different speeds. It's all a bit bumpy, but they they notice, they all notice what they can get away with. And this is the world we're moving in. I don't know. I don't entirely rule out. I was thinking the other day of uh, Ronald Reagan's great line um, uh, when he was shot and uh, he was on the gurney being wheeled into the hospital and he said uh, to the doctors and nurses around his Gurney as they were whisking him into the operating theatre. Uh, I hope you guys are Republicans. And uh, the one doctor said, uh, Mr. President, today we're all Republican. And it's a cute line. 
I actually think I, I wouldn't be surprised now if it isn't actually coming true. I, may, I keep pissing on the University of Vermont Medical Center because I had a very bad experience there a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I was uh, I was in a very bad I had some tests done. And it was a weekend. I think it was, you know, Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon. I can't remember which now. I was in a very bad way. I was wilting. I, could ha- I couldn't walk. I could hardly stand. And uh, I got an uh, email from my fine cardiologist in Montreal who said, you, you, you're in a bad way and you need to go to hospital. Um, my hemoglobin was down at life-threatening levels. Well, you know, I happened to be at the middle of Vermont, so the only place I could go was the biggest hospital in Vermont, University of Vermont Medical Center. I was in a, I had to be, I was in a wheelchair. I couldn't, I couldn't walk. I was in a wheelchair, uh, was taken in, and due to all the wanker questions that you always get in the American system before, you know, in most functioning medical systems if you go in with a broken leg they say oh uh you think you've broken your leg okay let's get to work on your broken leg but before they can ever do anything for you uh they've got to ask you all the stupid questions they ask uh you know do you oh do you feel safe uh, at home oh uh well, I'm Canadian. Uh, no Canadian is supposed to feel safe in America, is he? You know, so we got all the wanker questions every 20 minutes uh, because they get uh, reimbursed by the federal. Every time they ask the wanker questions and file it with the federal government, they get $200. I think it's 200 might actually be 400 um, So if you're wondering why <laughs> there's an increasingly lengthening time between you showing up at emergency and anybody actually doing anything, for you. It's because of all the bad incentives like that. But eventually they they decide that my cardiologist in Montreal is right and I need a blood transfusion. And so I'm lying there and they've got me on the fluids and they're prepping me for the blood transfusion. And then the supervisor, the supervisor of the entire emergency system comes in and says she's not going to give me a blood transfusion. She doesn't approve of it. Uh, she won't say why. The discharge notes were completely incoherent. And so I wound up having to be put into the wheelchair and wheeled out of that hospital again. And I didn't get my blood transfusion uh, until uh, the next day uh, at the Royal, Victorian Hosp- Royal Victoria Hospital in Montreal. Because all the small county hospitals around University of Vermont are also part of the same system. So they know you've been turned away at the one. So, uh, you know, I don't want to go into it, but I reached the conclusion that I had been subjected to a form of politicized health care and that, in fact, that supervisor, uh, once she'd found out who I was, did not want to assist in saving my life. And so I think this is the way this is the world we are moving into where there are approved people and there are non-approved people. And I don't want to exaggerate that. I'm thinking of, uh, you know, I don't want to talk too much more about the awful, crappy, lousy Vermont 
medical centre because I'm thinking of uh, suing them. Um, but that 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 is why uh, what you know, as I said, I've no reason to stand up for Farage. Uh, but the fact is that if they do it, if they actually succeed in forcing Farage out of the country, what kind of political opposition? do you think you're going to get in the United Kingdom? I mean, Marine Le Pen has been dealing with this a long time, and she's hung on. But the fact is, uh, basically, a corrupt state is trying to criminalize opposition and actually make, I think, opposition so morally repugnant um, that, that uh, you know, there are millions of Farage's fellow UK citizens who are cheering on what the entire banking system is doing to him. Uh, Let's pause for a brief respite from the hell of the headlines. Tomorrow is Dominion Day, or if you prefer, Canada Day. A lot of people went along with that name change, not realizing that if you can erase the name of the national holiday, you can erase an awful lot of other stuff too. And once you get a taste for that, the erasure never stops. Just in time for tomorrow's holiday, for example, the National Capital Commission in Ottawa changed the name of the Sir John A. Macdonald Parkway, honoring the Dominion's first prime minister, to the Kichizibi Mikan, which is just the usual First Nations bollocks. Uh, July the 1st is the birthday of the nation that Viscount Monk and Sir John A. Macdonald ushered into being on that day in 1867. So if you erase all those guys, it's hardly surprising that the national holiday is stripped of any meaning and eventually of any fun. Uh, Nicola Timmerman, uh, whose letter I just read, uh, also noted that the city of Montreal has cancelled the Canada Day fireworks, supposedly on environmental grounds in order to save the planet. But really, there's not a lot left now, is there? My Canada is dead. I hold it in my memory and in my heart, and I will until the day I die, as you do for your America or for your England, as Ava does for her Netherlands, as she's spoken about. So all I'm going to do this Dominion Day is play a couple of songs that remind me of happier, better times, better Canadas. Uh, A little bit francophone, a little bit anglophone. Let's start in a city I love. No fireworks in Montreal tomorrow, but if you were there for our 2019 Christmas show, uh, you will have a little sense of what this song celebrates, Uh, the... uh, the verve and vivacity of Montreal nightlife in the middle years of the 20th century. This song was written in 1949 by Émile Prudhomme and Jean Raffa. J'aime les nuits de Montréal, pour moi ça vaut la place Pigalle. Je ris, je chante, la vie m'enchante. Il y a partout des refrains d'amour. I love Montreal nights. To me, they're worth the place Pigalle. I laugh, I sing, life enchants me, and everywhere 
There are songs of love. Here is a Quebec vedette who has been singing since she was a child. A great survivor through all the decades and a wonderful life-affirming spirit. Michel Richard. On a de tout temps chanté les nuits de Paris, la place Bigal, Montmartre, les Halles. Dans le monde entier, on sait que là-haut c'est beau, oui, mais ici, on a aussi des filles jolies, des cabarets, des bois de nuit, pour y chanter dans la gaieté des airs J'aime les nuits de Montréal Pour moi ça vaut la place Pigalle Je ris, je chante, la vie m'enchante Il y a partout des refrains d'amour Je chante encore, je chante Je vais heureuse à Montréal C'est merveilleux Mais il se fait tard ou plus tôt Il est tôt, la rue Amie Son blanc tapis J'avais ce matin, je n'avais remarqué Combien la neige pouvait glisser Ah déjà sept heures Bonjour facteur, bonjour laitier Vous commencez votre journée, moi, moi je vais me coucher J'aime les nuits de Montréal Pour moi ça vaut la place Pigalle Je ris, je chante, la vie m'enchante Il y a partout des refrains d'amour Je chante encore, je chante toujours Et quand je vois naître le jour aux petites heures vers ma demeure Je vais heureuse à Montréal C'est merveilleux Les bruits de la ville et le soleil m'éveillent Et je m'étire dans un soupir Et de ma fenêtre j'aperçois la cohue Dans les avenues et dans les rues J'ai un plafard un peu le cafard Oui mais ce soir La nuit viendra tout renaître J'aime les nuits de Montréal Pour moi ça vaut la place Pigalle Je ris, je chante La vie m'enchante Il y a partout des refrains d'amour Je chante encore, je chante toujours et quand je vois naître le jour Aux petites heures vers ma demeure Je vais heureuse à Montréal À Montréal À Montréal C'est merveilleux The indestructible Michelle Richard, God bless her and keep her, and Les Nuits de Montréal, a great Canadian song uh, on the eve of this Dominion Day. Music by Émile Prudhomme, lyrics by Jean Raffat.
That lovely arrangement for Michelle was by Peter Ranalo and Michelle Desjardins and recorded by my chums at Piccolo in Montreal. It was mixed and mastered by my dear friend Pierre Messier, who did the audio for our last Christmas show in Montreal and did it wonderfully. Uh, Pierre's brother is Celine Dion's drummer. It's one of those everybody in Canada knows everybody else things. Et quand je vois naître le jour aux petites heures, vers ma demeure, je vais heureux à Montréal, c'est merveilleux, which means uh, more or less. And when I see the birth of the day in the small hours, to my home I go happy. In Montreal, it's marvellous. A song and a singer and a city that I associate with very happy times in my life. And uh, that remains even on the eve of a sad and diminished Dominion Day. But I know what you Yanks are saying, especially those of you who live in upstate New York. You're yelling at me even as I speak. Montreal, Stein, Montreal, you seriously think... Montreal compares to Plattsburgh? song written about Plattsburgh, New York, former home of Tucker Carlson, 
Among many other distinctions, did you know the best song written about Plattsburgh, New York, was a Canadian song? Plattsburgh Drive-In Blues by Chantal Renault and Jean Williams and a hit for Mademoiselle Renault, a big yay singer in Quebec and France in 1969. Just before the COVID clobbered everything, I attended a lovely soiree homage in Montreal and had a long chat with Chantal and her husband, Bernard Landry, former premier of Quebec, and uh, it has to be said, not a great celebrant of Dominion Day. Monsieur Landry was very sick that night, and he has since left us, but uh, Chantal Renault is still with us and beautiful as ever, although I don't think she's going down to the drive-in in Plattsburgh quite so often. The Mark Stein Show, live around the planet. We're back to your questions in just 30 seconds. This is Mark Stein. After three years in COVID, Stan, it's time to get out of town. So join me on the 2023 Mark Stein Cruise, sailing from Italy to Croatia, Montenegro, Greece, for a full week of sun, sea, and civilizational collapse. I'll have special guests from around the world, from America, Canada, Australia, Britain, Europe, and we'll do all the things you like about the Mark Stein Show and Stein Online, but close up and on water. More details at steinonline.com or marksteincruise.com. Yeah, the beautiful Adriatic with Ava, Leilani, Alexandra and many more. Can't beat that. MarkSteinCruise.com if you'd like to see if there's uh, a last-minute cabin uh, you can book. We sail from Trieste a week today. It is 16 minutes to nine, British summertime, a little behind, a lot ahead, according to where you chance to be on this uh, turbulent earth. While we're playing all those Franco pop songs, uh, I, I, I'll get into trouble if I call her my favorite uh, Francophone. We used to, we, on the first Barkside cruise, I think we called her the token Francophone, which wasn't actually true because there was an actual Frenchman from France uh, among our cruisers back in, uh, I think it was five years ago. Uh, but uh, Ellen Como is uh, certainly my favorite francophone in her particular municipality. And she writes, Cher Marc, bonjour du Canada et bonne fête du Canada. <laughs> That means Happy Canada Day, which is anything but celebrated here in La Belle Provence. It's moving day. Yep, that's true. In Quebec, in order to diminish uh, July the 1st and big up uh, last week's uh, Jean-Baptiste Day, uh, June 24th, uh, July the 1st is when all the people in rented accommodation, their leases expire. So it's the it's moving day. It's when you have to load up your 1984 Honda Civic and take all your stuff. Uh, and uh, the roads are clogged by people with all kinds of stuff on the roof of their cars moving to their new flats. <clears throat> and uh, that's just a... <laughs> The sort of delightfully petty way that Quebec nationalists like to screw over the nation state they're actually in. Ellen continues, I'd promised to find you a French equivalent for cockwomble. As you know, I got sued 
for suggesting that Carrie Katz, the Vegas billionaire who sued me for $35 million, uh, was a cockwomble, which is a bit of British vernacular. He sued me for that, and he lost. And the, the, the judge, if you read it, it's the very last page in the judgment. It's up at the website. The judge came very close to actually pronouncing uh, Carrie Katz, uh, a cockwomble, which he is. Anyway, after years of searching for a French equivalent for cockwomble, this fell into my lap while I was scrolling on Facebook. Cockfredoui, which means worthless and useless man, just in time for the upcoming Mark Stein cruise. So I hope you get some mileage out of the word. Cockfredoui. A worthless and useless man. It's sort of a bit too mellifluous, I think, Ellen. It's like, uh, it's, it sounds a bit like a dish. If you were at a charming Provencal restaurant, uh, one might, oh, no, no, no. Uh, I don't really, I don't really like the coco van. Do you have coque That's my favorite. Um, anyway, <laughs> Ellen says, thanks for taking my question two weeks ago. I certainly agree that British culture and values are worth teaching and sharing with the world. I just wish it could have been done without taking Indian children from their parents, a gross violation of a sacred bond, regardless of culture. Uh, I wouldn't particularly disagree with that, Ellen. I do think the problem is the reserve system, the reservation system uh, in Indian affairs. For example, when they built whatever that new town was, they built for them in Labrador because the old town had been completely trashed. So they spent millions of uh, dollars building them an entirely new town five miles up the coast. And within a couple of years, that town was completely trashed. I do think the reservation system explains a lot of the problems of indigenous people in Canada. And as I said at the time, they would get much better outcomes if instead of spending millions on that uh, new town, they had just uh, divided it between the inhabitants and put them up in the Ritz-Carlton with an unlimited room service tab because the, uh, uh, the, the best thing that could happen is if Indigenous people integrated themselves into the mainstream of Canadian life. Um, Ellen continues, Your longtime Ottawa supporter Bill Reed will be on the cruise. He is a highly talented photographer. I have an album from him of the first Mark Stein cruise where we met and the pictures are breathtaking. He's listening to this Q&A. So a shout out to him. And you can speak French with him. Il sait de débris. Si vous en avez envie, bon voyage encore une fois. Il sait des bruits. Yeah, that's about me too. Although I've actually sort of changed my view on it a little, Ellen, since we first met. Because uh, I was in the, when I had my heart attacks and I was uh, taken to the ICU, the fabulous ICU, and all the nurses, my delightful Provencal nurses, they're all unilingual francophones, except for one lady who'd spent a little time in Mauritius and had retained a bit of English. But uh, I, I apologized to them because, you know, when you're trying to describe... An ICU is a fairly uh, high-level expert environment, and... 
you know, whatever the state of one's French, you don't naturally acquire the terms for the various bits of your bodily parts that are failing to function. So I apologised for not speaking (laughs) very good ICU French. And they all thought that was hilarious. And uh, on about about the third day, I'd sort of picked up uh, all the lingo. And uh, my one nurse said to me, you are now completely fluent in ICU French. And while I was there, you know, because I was dealing with a lot of crap from GB News, from uh, whatever he's called, Angelus Flopidopoulos and uh, that other guy. And um, there was a lot of bollocks, which you don't need when you're in the state I was in. Uh, so I actually, by about the third day, I found it relaxing, uh, terribly relaxing, not speaking any English. And when my daughter flew out to take care of me when I'd been discharged over Christmas, I, I said to her, let's not speak uh, English till like six in the evening when we settle down to watch some ancient uh, British comedy show or whatever on the telly. Um, but let's because I'd, I'd found it completely soothing and, and they're relaxing, just speaking French. And by the way, I should say, uh, for people who are disappointed in my performance, I'm actually much funnier in French. And I'll tell you why, because banter, uh, colloquial banter, is hard to keep up with if you're a non-native speaker. So, uh, you know, my neighbours would ask me, they kind of, oh, he's a bit under the weather, let's ask, have him over for a, an apéro, uh, for a drink uh, or, or some uh, food or whatever. And so everyone's bantering back and forth and you're like a little out of it because you can't, because it's quick and uh, colloquial and you can't quite keep up with it. So, uh, while you're sort of sitting out all the back and forth, you think of like one great seven-line reaction, seven-word reaction you could use. And so eventually they all turn to you and say, Mac, uh, you haven't spoken for a while. And then, <laughs> and then you deliver your seven words or your 12 words. And they all, and because you've had a little bit of time to think about it, it's the perfect one-liner. And they all fall around laughing. And talk about it for weeks afterwards. So I am generally, uh, Ellen, I'm so sorry you won't be on the cruise uh, next week because <laughs> I would love to do my uh, new, brilliant, devastating French improv uh, routine on you and see what you make of it. Now, uh, there, were, there were more things going on in France uh, than just me uh, delivering one-liners in the native tongue. Toby Pilling says, who are all these mysterious youths rioting in France? Jean-Philippe and Gaston? Or might other names predominate? As you can tell from the question, Toby knows the answer. I said at the top of the show, the the coverage of this is completely dishonest. There's a little clip. We might play it on the Mark Stein show on Monday of uh, a group of French citizens confronting these rioters, and the rioters are all uh, shouting Allahu Akbar, which is not a phrase one associates with Jean-Philippe and Gaston. Uh, The riots are taking place in what they call the territories lost to the republic. That is to say, as we have seen dramatically these last... uh, three or four nights, but as you will see less dramatically 
any hour of the day in recent years. These are territories in almost every French city where the writ of the French state no longer runs. And uh, there is sooner or later going to be a reckoning about this. Uh, Macron has generally bungled this whole business by conceding, I think, too much uh, to the rioters' version of events uh, when... Uh, and thereby prejudging what will uh, be a court case in which uh, matters will be considered according to the rules of evidence and all the rest of it. But beyond that, in the bigger sense, he's actually letting these people have the run not only of the territories lost to the republic, as they say, but to the rest of these cities where, and as I said, it is now... Uh, proving fatal for people. A guy, France 24, is reporting that a guy uh, who jumped out of the window of a supermarket uh, that had come under attack by these guys uh, died of the injuries he suffered from the fall. Um, it, it is... it. it He's giving the impression that the French state has lost control and that is emboldening these guys. And I would simply advise people to refer to what I said about the 2005 riots in my long ago book, America Alone. Timothy MacDonald says, Mark, watching the French riots is just sickening. The national scale of them, the national scale of them can't be overlooked. Uh, what type of incident will need to take place until the French realize that continuing with mass immigration of non-French people will completely destroy the country and its many treasures? Thanks and enjoy your cruise while not dying on us. Yeah, I'm... Uh... <laughs> Uh, it uh, requires a little more thought than it used to, figuring out how I'm going to get to Trieste without dying on you, Timothy, but I'm uh, pretty confident I can make it. As to the destroyed treasures, the second largest city in France after Paris is Marseille. That always slightly surprises me, that statistic, because it doesn't sort of feel... Uh, that big uh, to me, but it is. And the biggest library in Marseille, as I speak, is burning, uh, is burning. And that's the future of France. You know, some of these things, these great cathedrals, like uh, whatever it is, Santa Sophia, Santa Sophia in uh, Constantinople, when the Muslims take over, they'll, they'll, turn it into something and then turn it for an interim phase and then turn it into a mosque. Notre Dame will be a mosque at some point. But the, the other stuff, I think they will just destroy and wreck because they are monuments to a uh, civilization that is not theirs. Uh, and I think they, their hostility to that, will you can see that already in what's going on. Uh, Charlie Citrine 
It says, Mark, surprise, surprise, the Rwanda plan has been thrown out by the High Court. The first false step is to allow them onto your territory. After that, all is lost. Anyone who thinks we can control our borders by letting everyone in and then trying vainly to deport a few of them isn't serious about solving this crisis. Trump was right. The only borders that work are physical borders. Ask Hungary and Poland. They built walls and they don't have migrants. Controlling our borders means repelling migrants from crossing our maritime frontiers. In 1940, Britain stopped the German army at the Channel, but apparently the the might of the Royal Navy cannot stop a handful of rubber dinghies. This national humiliation is more destructive to our integrity as a country than any Nazi invasion would have been. What are your thoughts? Yeah, actually, had the German army actually made it onto English soil, uh, two out of three judges at the Court of Appeals would have ruled that they had to be allowed to stay until their refugee claims had been adjudicated. Robert Rowe says, reference the recent decision in the Court of Appeal regarding migrants being sent to Rwanda pending a decision on whether or not they can reside in the UK. It is not very good optics when two out of three from a branch of old white men tell an African democracy that their country is not a safe place for migrants. That's true, Robert, but it's it's like a debater's point. Uh, and it will be, I think, a Maggie Mutesi, who thought I was rather sort of semi-racist, Uh, when I was talking about Rwanda, and I would be interested to know what she makes of these two judges' decision. Look, there's an Britain has a lot of colonies. So they're not third countries. They're just, in law, they're just different parts of your own sovereign territory. So they could uh, easily move all these people to the South Sandwich Islands or to Pitcairn, or to all kinds of other places. Um, but, but they won't do it because of the failure of will. Boris is a wanker who doesn't understand anything. I once tried to explain to him demography, but he couldn't get It's too much for him because, you know, I, I could see two minutes into my explanation. He was thinking of some bird he could get a leg over that evening. You know, so... These people, these you're up against lefties who consciously want to change the uh, demographic profile of the country. Uh, And at some point, that is likely uh, to bring on... We had a question. I forget where it was. Who asked this question? It was a question about... Islamophobia explaining, you know, they didn't like the term Islamophobia because phobia is a, um, you know, it suggests it's an irrational fear. And what Greek word would be for a non-irrational fear? Well, the Greeks think all, I think there's, what is there's There's deos, ek, ek, uh, what's it, is it, ek, ekplexis, I think, where they think that uh, all I wish I could find this letter. All all fear is subjective. And actually, that isn't the case with what we know about Islam and its bloody borders uh, over the last 1,500 years. So uh, to put it this way, 
uh, whoever it was, said, uh, Islam does not play well with others. I wish I could, I can't, I misplaced, uh, I, I misplaced this uh, email. I had it here about uh, Islamophobia. And they asked me for what another Greek word is. I like uh, the Greek word, it will never catch on, but I like phronesis. Because it is, it's which means prudence or uh, mindfulness, if I recall my Little and Scott, uh, and I think that's what to to suddenly turn your country semi-Muslim is imprudent. Uh, and uh, uh, here's a letter from Le Texan, sort of related to that. Do you think Switzerland could finish out the country still Swiss? Even while the countries surrounding it submit gradually, then suddenly, Welbeck style, to Islam and Arab culture. They avoided the worst of World War One and World War Two. They stayed out of the EU, kept the franc, kept a decentralized federal system of government, and adopted trendy progressive causes with decades of delay. Each section of the country, German, Italian, and French, is attuned to news from neighboring countries who have handled their immigration badly. Could the Swiss avoid the fate of their neighbors or is demography inevitably going to submerge them too where in the bit of switzerland with statues of chaplin mercury and byron not the bit with heidi and her grandfather and his goats don't forget the goats uh, uh, when you say mercury is that freddie mercury <laughs> and lord byron switzerland is in a better place than uh, France and Germany and uh, Belgium and the Netherlands and indeed most of the Scandinavian countries. The thing about it is you're better to be off, you're better off out of the EU um, because there's a chance then uh, that uh, you might at least have the privilege of hanging separately. The EU is embarked on a course that will ensure that you're all going to hang together uh, and that is uh, not something we i keep saying um oh josh Paschal says uh, what it was uh, as tommy robinson said to nigel so tea partiers could say to marine le pen welcome to our world the 2010 midterm so shook obama his irs saw to it that they could not raise funds therefore not organize freedom of assembly after a fashion for the 2012 election americans are into our second decade of fascism uh, nicola uh, suzanne rennie says the plattsburgh song pass moi ton sac de sheep you always come up it is a fan if you it i guess if you don't speak french you don't catch half of it but it's all the lyric is very funny because it's all about michigan reds which is a type of hot dog they serve in plattsburgh uh and uh, do, uh what's the other line there do you take canadian money <laughs> it's a very funny song i love that song uh you always come up with the most apt songs for your show mark says suzanne all in good french canadian joie for those who have trouble ex understanding our accent in La Langue de Moliere here in Montreal, wishing all of you lucky club members a fantastic time on the cruise next week. Yeah, it won't just be Anglophones who won't have a clue 
what Chantal Renault was singing about there, but there will be a whole lot of Academy Francaise types over in Paris saying, oh my God, what is this frightful thing he's playing? Uh, a little more Dominion Day music to close. Uh, Anglo, Anglo this time, because we had the Franco stuff just for Ellen. Uh, I don't know where it stands today, but for much of the 20th century, this was the biggest song to come out of Canada. The music is by Ernest Seitz from Hamilton, Ontario, and the words are by Jean Lockhart from London, Ontario. Mr. Seitz was the longtime principal of the Royal Conservatory of Music and a concert pianist who played with the Toronto Symphony, the New York Philharmonic, the Philadelphia Orchestra. He retired from performing in 1945 and spent his last third of a century as president of the family car dealership in Toronto, which always makes me chuckle. Gene Lockhart, the lyricist, was a football player with the Toronto Argonauts, who then became an actor and in 1938 was nominated for an Oscar as Best Supporting Actor to Charles Boyer and Hedy Lamarr in Algiers, which is a great film. Come with me to the Casbah. You may also remember Jean Lockhart from A Christmas Carol, uh, Miracle on 34th Street, Carousel, small roles in big films. Uh, but one day in 1916, the automobile salesman concert pianist and the Canadian football Oscar nominee came together to write this song. Willie Nelson is standing by, but we'll let Paul Buskirk set it up on the mandala. Calling at my 
calling you You know, I like Willie Nelson, but he leaves out half the lyric there. Anyone want to give us the full chorus? Number two smash on the Billboard Hit Parade in 1951. Les Paul and Mary Ford, two great Americans, performing a song by two great Canadians. Words by Gene Lockhart, music by Ernest Seitz, who wrote most of that tune when he was just 12 years old, which is 120 years ago now. But the song endures, the world is waiting for the sunrise. It is. It is. Instead, it seems as if we're heading for endless night. Stick with Stein Online this Dominion Day weekend. Rick McGuinness on the movie beat. Stein Song of the Week. The Mark Stein Show returns on Monday. Stay safe, stay free, stay well. Put your dreams away for another better Dominion Day.
Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.